Welcome to the most entertaining, engaging, and charismatic podcast. This is the podcast where we blend charisma, personality, comedy, and important conversations. And uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation. I was actually on this platform uh, uh, last week, and we had a great conversation. And uh, he still owes me five grand, but we're going to talk about that. Um, real nice guy, real uh, amazing dude. Uh, he's also the host and creator of Coffee with Humans. Not dogs, not cats, Coffee with Humans. And uh, his podcast is amazing. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be on his platform, and I'm fortunate to have him on my platform. So, you know, welcome to the podcast, Jason. I love it, man. You talked about charisma and comedy and conversation and i am there for all of those three c's that's what i'm here for enlighten the people <laughs> <laughs> bring it let's go <laughs> so you know I, I i think um as an introduction you know to for people to get to know you and especially for people who may not know about your podcast i think it's important for people to understand how you got started and what made you decide to start Coffee with Humans and how you got uh how you went about actually doing it. So whatever you want to start with your journey, I think people want to hear it. Coffee with Humans is a pandemic baby. It was started in April or May of 2020 because what I was sensing from the universe was that people were despairing really over their situations. They're feeling a lot of disconnection. And that was driving people, I think, a little bit batty. And so I simply put out a LinkedIn post and said, hey, if you want to have coffee with me, I will have a virtual coffee with you. I want to have 52 of them this year. And that turned into now well over 200. Uh, my schedule is booked up almost daily for months. And it's it's been a real treat to get to know people all over the world. Critically, it is a conversation with strangers. It's raw unscripted we we meet for a brief tech check about six or eight minutes before we go live and then we talk about whatever you want to talk about for 45 minutes uh and we, we've always had a really good time oh absolutely i think i might have brought that record last week because we was we was on there for a little bit <laughs> we were on it for an, an hour or more <laughs> yeah i think it was a little more than an hour but i mean when the most charismatic man entertainment shows up i mean it kind of you know it makes sense but um what do you think, you know, one of the things I always talk about, um, you know, importantly, when uh, I interview people, I like to get a sense of, you know, who they are as a person. And for you being a podcast host yourself and a content creator, you know, um, what is one thing that you feel like um, you've learned um, doing it or maybe something you found about people? Because one of the things I realized over the last few years, especially the, the pandemic, you know, my podcast is a pandemic baby, so we have that in common. Uh, but we have been living in a very negative world, uh, a lot of hostility, a lot of negativity and not, a, not enough conversation. Um, do you think that for you, is it still troubling at this point in your journey? Or do you think it's one of those things where, you know what, you have to get started at some point and you're, you're glad to be that person to start bridging that gap? Well, you talk about things that I've learned or things that have stood out for me from having all these conversations. And the thing that stands out for me is that we are all the same. We like to glorify our differences for some unknown reason to me, but we are it, fundamentally in our hearts and our souls. We are very much the same. 
we experience uh, fear, we experience dreams, we have hopes, we have sorrows, we have struggles. And the facade, the, the way we present ourselves to the world due to cultural differences or or you know the where we were raised or how how we have matriculated the the facade is different but boy deep down inside we are all the same there are almost 8 billion people on the planet and i have had the privilege to talk to all sorts of people all around the world in a lot of different cultures and having one conversation uh with a person in germany versus a conversation with a person in kuwait versus a conversation with a person in in south africa or nevada everybody is the same. We're all just people and we're all just trying to figure it out and get along. <laughs> I think that's important because I, I know when we was on, uh, when I, you interviewed me and I was talking about, you know, my work um, at college working at a soup kitchen, I got to meet uh, drug addicts, uh, people of low income, poverty, uh, people struggling with addiction. And one thing I realized is that some of those people were the most positive people you know, and a lot of people might look down on them. Society might look down on those type of people. But I think it's something important that everybody gets the chance to, you know, share their opinion. Because when I talk to a lot of them, I still remember a lot of their names, too, because they impact me in a way that I haven't been impacted before. And they gave me a lot of wisdom, a lot of um, advice, um, a lot of courage, because a lot of those people were coming from a dark place, were in, in the dark place. And I think this is an important thing. Um, for us, you know, me and you and other content creators to allow people to, you know, express themselves. And I think it's, that's one of the problems with our society is that a lot of these platforms and a lot of people, they only want people that agree with them or side with them or, you know, see their point of view. And I think there's not enough discussion, regardless of your economic standing, uh, your political beliefs or whatever the case may be. Um, let me ask you, you know, I... I because this is the, you know, the podcast where we do talk about controversial topics. Um, how do you feel about, uh, you know, a lot of these platforms uh, enforcing uh, political correctness? Do you feel like it's impact you in any way or uh, do you just see it across like social media and just like life in general? It's not impacted me directly on any given platform. And I, I stay platform agnostic. To some degree, I live stream on YouTube. I'm I'm on TikTok. I'm on Facebook, Twitch. But my observation is that platforms have become brokers of information, brokers of facts, rather than staying as conduits to the free flow of information, and that is that is their right. We live in a capitalistic society, in a democratic republic. The thing that we get to do is create our businesses with freedom. And so I think if Twitter wants to shut somebody down, well, that's Twitter's, that's Twitter's prerogative. The marketplace will correct for that. It might take some time, but the marketplace will actually correct for that. And that's an advantage we have living in our in our western culture if twitter well i guess china is a good example you know china china blocks certain search results and so a a person living in china will not see the same information on the internet that you and i might see because we live in the united states 
they are they become a broker for what information is right, you know, quote unquote, right for their population to see. That's a disturbing trend when we start seeing that come in the United States. But there will be another there will be another Twitter that pops up. There will be another platform that pops up that, uh, again, I, I think will correct for it. Do you see, I, you know, because this, this is something that I talk about, you know, freedom of speech. I've done talks about Dave Chappelle, other comedians, uh, you know, other people in the media. Um, and, you know, it's the reality when you create content for people, you are held to a different standard. Everything's going to be critiqued. Um, you know, for me, I, I've mentioned it to you before, you know, being an actor, I have to watch what I say because, you know, an executive for, you know, a, a specific company listens to something that I said, you know, bam, cancel culture is right there. Do you think that, you know, the, the freedom of speech is under attack and or do you think there's just a phase where people are just trying to weed out the 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 negativity, the bad people who use freedom of speech to say whatever they want and cause, uh, you know, harm not physically but you know verbally um do you think this is a good direction that we're going in or do you think that it's getting a little too carried away i think freedom of speech is under attack that's my perception at least and again i have my own experiences there are people who who are close to me who we you know we don't have any issues like you and i we can talk about anything you like you can't offend me and i can't offend you whatever we have our differing viewpoints well, well, speak and for that's yourself. <laughs> that's true right exactly <laughs> oops crossed the boundary uh, but, but it's, we, we are supposed to have differing viewpoints. That's how we are. That, that is a necessity of life. It's the only way we learn outside of our myopic viewpoints. And, and any of us are wrong in any given circumstance at any given time, to some degree, accepting that I also need to accept that of myself and of you, I might be wrong about some deeply held belief that I don't know about yet. I've done a lot of changing in the 40 something years I've been on this planet. I expect to do more in the following years until I die. If I was if I was to hold myself to to who I was when I was 13, that's stupid. Why why would I not be able to grow past that? And I can only grow by by getting outside of my own comfort zone and 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 immersing myself in other cultures and other viewpoints. But I think the the idea of freedom of speech is becomes a, regu a regulatory issue. And that's where I think it's under attack because somehow it's a good, it's a good soundbite. It's good news. It's good something to put out there uh, that somebody, somebody, some for some reason has benefit if we legislate what we can and can't say. A core tenant of freedom of speech is I can say anything I want, and I can offend you in any way I feel like it, and you don't have to like it. You can just stop talking to me. And the marketplace corrects for it. Uh, businesses that have that have uh, you know pushed themselves out of bounds, the marketplace corrects for it. People will correct for it. But it's interesting that these are these these like even cancel culture. It seems to be a blip. It's a blip on the radar, and then it goes away, and everybody forgets about it. And that I think is a. Uh, I think it's I I think that's a benefit to us. Let the blips go. Again, the, it's the moving average which will 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 tend to correct itself over time. But when it becomes a regulatory issue that we can and that we have to say certain things just because you like it, that's not freedom of speech. I don't have to say anything just because you like it. Nor nor do nor do you have to say anything just because I like it. I could just not be on your podcast, and that would be fine. <laughs> Absolutely, and you know, for me, this conversation is much more than just about 
you know, just saying whatever you want. It's more so just the principle of cancel culture, right? Um, you mentioned um, about how, you know, you say something, people attack you. And I say there are examples um, of people using, free, you know, saying things that they really should be saying, uh, you know, calling people the N-word, calling gay people, you know, the F-word and all that good stuff. You know, maybe you need to help be held accountable. But I think the problem for me is that it's going to the point where I remember with Kevin Hart when he was supposed to uh, he was supposed to host the Oscars or something a couple years ago. And people found the tweet he made a decade ago and he had to pull out of, you know, doing the Oscars. I mean, in, in what world, you know, do we hold people accountable for things that they did when they were young, dumb and stupid? You know, now, if this happened like last week, OK, I could see your point there. But 10 years ago. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And, you know, one of the reasons why I talked about Dave Chappelle a lot is the fact that in his last stand-up special, The Closure, he made a good point. And there's something you kind of said. You know, if you don't like what I do, don't watch. You know, people... I, I never understood the fascination. If you don't like Dave Chappelle, if you don't like his comedy, you don't like the way he talks, you don't like the things that he makes fun of, why pay a ticket to go watch him and then complain about it. You know, the whole Netflix employees thing. It's like, you really willing to risk your job over a guy who has millions of fans, been doing something that he loves for many years, getting paid very good money to do it. And you think that your voice should overpower the millions of other people that kind of like it. I think that's the problem is so much, you know, everybody has what they believe in and I'm not attacking that one bit, but why does your, opinion have to overstep you know thousands of other people who disagree with you i think that's the key part that i don't understand and um do you think there's an inner sight because uh i do think what people uh like dave Chappelle and other uh celebrities and other people generally starting to push back a little bit against that it's like hey you know i i i'm i'm a afforded the right to talk and speak the way I speak. Do you think at some point, because some point things are going to change, do you think it will become better or do you think it will become even worse where now policies are coming out? If you say something about, you know, a minority or the LGBT community or a certain type of group that you're going to be held responsible? Because I know in certain other countries, I know England in particular, if I'm not mistaken, Piers Morgan was talking about it and, you know, people are getting fined for saying things. I mean, what? Uh, what do you think about that? Well, I think a handful of things. Number one is that most of the cancel culture is in entertainment. The people who are there to entertain us, which says something about our culture that we care so much about being entertained and who's entertaining us that maybe we're a bit too superficial. I think we tend to care, It just my opinion, we tend to cancel entertainers faster than we cancel politicians. The politicians make our laws and entertainers do not. I don't watch any movie because I think that that actor has some moral imperative to live their life in a certain way. I only care that it's a good movie. And now what they do with their personal life, to some extent, I don't care. It's not my problem. However, if I elected them to be a judge, I might care. And I think that we have elevated entertainment to such a high degree that we need to feel good 
about ourselves, that anybody who makes us not feel good about ourselves is a problem. And I just think that that's not, that's not a long-term solution. I don't think it's been historically a good solution for cultures, and I don't think it's a long-term solution for us. And the second thing I think about is, is that there is an arc to all civilizations. There is a rise, and there is a peak, and there is a fall. And it tends to be, historically, when civilizations start picking away at the underpinnings of society, uh, then the civilization falls. And I don't think that we are too far from that because we are arguing about things that are so fundamental that we've just taken for granted for thousands of years. We're now arguing about them, which is a little ridiculous. And we're losing sight of the fact that um, energy prices are going up and politicians aren't actually in our court as individuals, I don't think. Uh, there's been studies done on that. They don't, they, they follow the, the laws that, that, uh, work towards corporations. They don't follow the laws that the people want. Um, that's a proven that's there's, there's studies behind that. So I think that, I think that we are, like, there's a, there's a quote and I'll, I've forgotten what the quote is, but basically it's people don't think too deeply about these matters. We'd like to be entertained. We like to, we like to philosophize about things we've never, we've never actually dug into. Uh, and, and I think that cancel culture in particular in entertainment is evidence of that. Now, I, you made a good point. You said we hold entertainment, you know, as someone who's in the industry, I'll take that as a compliment. Right. But nonetheless, uh, we, people do elevate entertainment. Right. But, you know, like you said, politicians don't get held accountable unless it's, you know, Donald Trump, um, a lot of people don't really speak out too much, right? Why do you think that people don't call out politicians or call out policies or call out the government? Because that is something that I see a lot of people, you know, Donald Trump, what the hell? Um, you know, a lot of people was very vocal about not liking him, not liking his policies, not liking him as a person. And But he's the only president in recent years that I've seen people actually be outspoken about, you know, people don't talk about what a lot of these mayors are doing, um, you know, what a lot of these congressmen are doing, the Supreme Court is doing, you know, they're making laws and passing things that people don't agree with. But yet a lot of people don't really say anything, but let Tom Cruise say something on Twitter and people blow up. Do you think that um, people need to hold politicians uh, accountable for things or Let's take a step back. Let before you even jump to that point, why do you think politics is so um, touchy and so divisive? Because I think that's the main problem why people don't call out politicians: the fact that we don't talk about politics. We're not allowed to sit down and debate who do you, who who we think is better, uh, Biden or you know Trump or whatever the case may be. Do you think um, that we need a better way to handle politics? That's a Deep question, deep and far reaching. <laughs> I can only answer from my own amateur experience. I believe that a lot of the anger that erupts around politics is based in loss of control. Mm -hmm. As a as a voting member of society, I intuitively know that I have limited control over the situation. 
Uh, and when I talk to you, I have no control. And so if you disagree with me, I already sense my limited control. And now I fact, and now I have even less control because I can't, I can't actually badger you into a new opinion. And so that tends to create anger. It, that creates anger in interpersonal relationships. And that's where I'm drawing the parallel. If I'm in an interpersonal relationship with you and you piss me off because we're roommates, let's say, and you keep eating my food when I put it in the refrigerator and I say, hey, I would like to not have you eat my food because it's my food. And you say, okay, I won't. And then you eat it again. What's my alternative? I could get angry with you. I would do that. I'd probably get angry with you. But listen, I've told you this twice, three times, four times, and you keep eating my food, yet we agreed to it. The alternative is we just go our separate ways. But neither one of us wants to because there's all sorts of trouble with that. Politics right. is kind of the same. I feel like I have things that I the the that the 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 world should operate in a slightly different way. And yet I know I have limited control over it. And so I'm stuck as an individual in a system that I might not agree with. And instead of taking a long path on it and thinking, well, my limited viewpoint here uh, for the handful of years that I'm on earth will correct for itself in the coming 100 or a thousand years or more. So I'm going to do my best. I'm going to stick to the thing that I know. Instead, I think we tend to just get angry about it and, and that creates divisiveness. And in addition, I think divisiveness is stirred up because it is a benefit to somebody. Mm -hmm. If, if a, you talk about cancel culture, if politicians were canceled because they had disagreeing viewpoints with themselves, let's say they lied, we have video now of all sorts of politicians saying the exact opposite thing that they profess now, just five, 10 years ago. Right. How come, how come a politician can't get immediately canceled for that? And that's because they have power that nobody else has, which smells like a rat to me. <laughs> FBI, we're not talking about you, all right? So don't come at us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, you you know, for me, and this is why I stay away from politics. It, it, it seems, um, and we talked about it last week, and I was on your on your platform. It, it, it's one of those things where you're forced to choose a side, and you have to stick with that side no matter what. You know, very rarely do a Democrat call out a fellow Democratic, uh, you know, party member, or very rarely do a Republican call out, um. Another Republican, Trey Gowdy, um, big fan of his. He was on a um, Supreme Court, and uh, I've watched, I watched countless interviews of him grilling fellow Republicans and uh, Democrats about certain policies about their conduct, and yet he's not the only, he's the only one that's doing it, and he hasn't gotten support for doing that, and I think. That's one of the problems. It's like, you know, with the police, for instance, you know, the police know there's something obviously going on wrong in the society where a lot of rogue cops, cops who feel entitled are going out there, you know, abusing their authority and arresting people, uh, you know, putting guns on innocent civilians and whatever the case may be. But instead of addressing the problem, it's like, uh, you know, that person had to do it. You know, he, he looked like he had a gun, you know, instead of addressing those issues that, you know, the police have, you know, they blame everybody else. And I think I think I see that with politics. And this is not in one way criticizing Democrats or Republicans. This just in a whole. I think, you know, there needs to be more checks and balances. You know, I think 
the Supreme Court shouldn't be having the same person 50 years ago still. You know, it's just at some point we need to hold these people accountable and, and make sure that, you know, on the Supreme Court, somebody who isn't, you know, a benefit of favoritism is still making laws that they feel comfortable with. I think there needs to be, um, whether whatever party you are, hold each other accountable. I, I don't think that just because you're a Democrat, you can't call out a Democrat. I think you should be able to criticize your your coworker, your teammate, your, your your castmate, or whatever the case may be. But yet, it just seems like politics is the only field the way that doesn't happen. Do you feel that? Because this, this, this is not something that's going to correct it tomorrow. You know, we're not going to wake up and everything's going to magically fix itself. Um, but how do you feel that this changed? Because I feel like that with the pandemic came some good things. You know, we, we're living in a society now where, you know, you know, my generation, the younger generation, even people in your generation, a little more open-minded, a little more um, fluent in terms of thinking. Um do you feel that as new blood and uh, new voices start coming through the ranks in politics, that things will change because there is favoritism, you know, there's tenure that we're talking about. So a judge who's been sitting on the bench for 40 years, who might be in the seventies, eighties, he has a certain way of thinking that he may not change, but someone who's younger, more experienced, who understands the culture and society issues that we are facing can make those type of judgment that benefits the community do you feel that that's the only way that we'll actually address these problems when we get more people hit to society um in those roles and positions i don't know that we want significant change in politics and here's why i say that number one the system is set up with certain checks and balances in place by design and those checks and balances are not the same for all cultures. The United States is a bit different. So we have the judicial branch, we have the legislative branch, uh, and we have the executive branch. And each one has different powers. And you talk about judges, for instance. The judicial branch is designed to make sure that the Constitution is upheld. That is a long-term document. It takes a lot to change the Constitution, and it's by design. We don't want people who are just like, you know what, for the next generation, this generation doesn't like what the Constitution said. We'll go shove it. Because the, there have been all sorts of generational changes, which are crazy town, didn't work, and the next generation corrected for it. So, for instance, the current monetary policy, it's causing all sorts of massive inflation. So should should a, should somebody just be able to print money? Should somebody just be able to uh, forgive debts just willy-nilly? Just like, I don't, I'm just going to do that. Okay, well. That has a massive long-term effect, decades-long effect, and is it constitutional? You want to have a long-term, uh, you want to have a long-term governance in place that protects basic fundamental rights of what these other branches can and can't do. You don't want to switch those things out. Now, there are other things that are more short-term in effect, right? So, uh, for instance, spending bills and that type of stuff, there might be reasons to print money and there might be reasons to to pull back on it. There might be you know, reasons to fund space programs, whereas, you know, five years before there were not. You want to be able to have those those intermediate effects so that the govern so the governing bodies can change laws as the 
as the uh, as cultures change and as needs change. Those are those are more um, uh, transient in nature. The same is true of the stock market. If you look at the stock market, there are a couple, if you're a technical trader, right? There are certain moving averages that people look at. There's a 20-day moving average. There's a 50-day moving average. There's a 200-day moving average. And the the 20-day might move up and down. It might move up, uh, daily. Things might move up, down, up, down, up, down. What you don't want to do is you don't want to pay attention to that necessarily. You do want to pay attention to a long-term trend. And a lot of, you know, a lot of investment analysis and analysts will say, listen, if you just would put your money in there and held it instead of getting in and out, you would have been better off in the long haul. And that's, and a lot of long-term investors prove that to be true. The same is true of our laws. We don't want them changing uh, significantly because that leads to a lot of variance in society that is unnecessary. And, and so, yeah, we have this, you know, we have some debates right now going on that we didn't have 20 years ago. Uh, we didn't have them five years ago. And now suddenly they're a big debate. Okay, that'll shake itself out because we have long-term governance. Oh, and let me just clarify something. When I, when I talk about, uh, you know, change in the landscape, I don't mean so much the policies and the way how the, the structure of these systems work, but more so adding... Uh, a different type of person there who can see both points, right? I I, I say this, and it's not an uh, ageism thing, but it's harder for an 80 year old guy who's, you know, who has his own certain principles, certain beliefs to make judgment calls that's benefiting, you know, society as a whole. And for instance, Ray uh, Roe versus, uh, versus Wade, you know, something like that, I feel like the, that policy right there is a is an example of people who have a certain way of thinking, a certain way of how they view women, um, and how they want to enforce that. I'm not saying that's so much as a bad thing. I'm not here to debate the principles on stuff like that, but more so, I think it's nice to have people in these higher positions that understand what the average American goes through. I think when you get people who's been in that position for so long, for so many years, they lose touch of what American citizens want, what we desire, what we crave. You know, they're just thinking about that penthouse that they've been living in for many years and what benefits the people that they surround themselves with. And I think that's what I mean by so much the new blood is the fact that, you know, the people of today uh, you know, my generation, younger generation, the generations to come are going to understand what it's like to be a minority uh, in society or understand the struggles of the LGBT community or, you know, the issues women go through or whatever the case may be. They understand that and they can adjust accordingly. Um, that I think that's what I meant more so about adding and, and changing the, the dynamics, because I, I, I've said this and I've said this again, there's no reason why someone on the Supreme Court, uh, you know, who holds a, you know, a judge position or someone who, who makes laws and write these um, policies, there's no reason why they should be in the same position for 50 years. I'm not saying that there aren't great people who's, who's in those positions that's been doing great, but the reality of it, the situation is nobody should be on the Supreme Court for, you know, 40 years. I think at some point, you need to get new people in there. And I know this favoritism and, you know, work rate and whatever the case may be, but there's politics to that too. So 
I think that's what I just want to clarify that um, for that um, situation. Now I hear I you. Do, I do. Want I hear to you, but go okay, ahead. Okay, go ahead. Well, the 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 idea of you know we need to cycle out Supreme Court people faster. There's a reason the system was set up the way it's set up, and it actually could be changed if Congress wanted to change it. So. The fact of the matter is Congress doesn't want to change it. They want to talk about all sorts of things, but those are sound bites. Congress has a, has a tremendous amount of authority within the bounds of the Constitution, and the Constitution has nothing at all, does not restrict anything in regard to uh, race, sex, religion. Uh, so all of that is wide open. This is it. These become sound bites. Because politicians want them to become soundbites. You talked about something like, hey, we need new blood in politics. And do you think new blood could help? There is no new blood in politics because these people are groomed from the get-go. I've done a bit of political consulting with some folks. Uh, and behind the scenes, people are protected at the county levels, the city levels, the county levels, because uh, by their by their you know, the, the, the party that they are in with money, because it's easier to take you out. If you become a threat to the, to the party, it's easier to take you out at the city or the County level by running some sort of smear campaign or something like that, or digging up some dirt on you before you get up to the state level or worse yet, the national level. What nobody wants is somebody coming in from the outside. You talked about Trump. Trump came in from the absolute outside of anything. The Republicans didn't expect him. The Democrats didn't expect him. I actually know it's hearsay, but I know I have a friend who had a meeting in with Trump when he was going to run when he was going to run for office uh, at Trump Tower. And the stuff that goes on behind the scenes, basically nobody expected him. Nobody nobody wanted him because he's outside the political regime. You don't know he's a wild card. You don't know what he's going to do. Which, if you want to shake things up, go find somebody who's not a career politician. Go find somebody who has a job and is going to go back to that job when they leave office. That's what politicians used to do. You want to talk about career politicians? The people in Congress are career politicians. Keep your judges in place. They're, to, they're, there, to, they're there to protect the underpinnings of society. They're not causing any noise. You don't hear any judges ever talking about cancel culture and what their opinions are. They actually don't do it to protect the sanctity of their role. You talk, you have politicians on top of that, career politicians who talk out both sides of their mouths, change their opinions based on the wind, based on whether they're going to get elected or not, because they maintain their power. When's the last time you saw a politician be like, you know what? I... I think it's time. I'm going to hang up my hat. I'm going to let some new blood come in here. Never. I would respect that politician. But you know what? You're not going to see it because they give up their power and their authority. And it takes a certain level of narcissism to want to be a politician and have your life exposed to everybody and just kind of push through it. Be like, eh, I don't care what you think of me. I'm going to I'm going to stand for whatever I say is right. OK, fine. That takes a certain that takes a certain gusto from like within to be able to to do that. And I would say that actually takes a little bit of blinding yourself to um, to criticism. Doesn't mean that you, uh, and so you kind of want to, I think, I think you'd kind of want to maintain that if you had that sort of personality bent. You are 100% right. 
And what I would say is, you know, for instance, in entertainment, I've seen, you know, I've been doing it for 12 years and I've seen how it's evolved and has changed. Has it, is it where it needs to be yet? No, but I've seen the growth. It went from, you know, you had to be the typical blonde, blue haired, uh, not blue hair, uh, blonde hair, blue eyed, uh, white guy to play the lead of a movie. And now we're seeing as new executives and new people start inf infiltrating these studios and productions that is becoming more accepting and more inclusive and diverse. You know, I, I think that's what we need is, you know, entertainment industry benefits from, um, you know, grooming, from entitlement, from uh, favoritism too. And I just think that maybe in entertainment, it's a lot easier to hold people more accountable and I think in politics, it's harder because of the divisiveness that comes with it, the the favoritism, uh, you know, I'll do this deal for you and I'll look out for you if something happens. You know, I, I think there's a lot of it's politics and politics. That's how I look at it. And I'll uh, throw this out there. It's easier to go after entertainers for two reasons, I think. Number one, the people who want to go after entertainers don't have much else going on in their lives. I got nothing else to do so I can, you know, I really care about this entertainer and how they made me feel. Okay, well, you don't have big fish to fry in your life then because there are actually more important issues than whether that entertainer said something or didn't say something. That's that's one thing. And number two is it makes for good political fodder for a politician to say, hey, you know what? This entertainer, you know what we need to do in this culture is we need to, and also this becomes this massive thing, which it wasn't. Nobody cared. It was, it was uh, you know, who was it? It was Will Smith, you know, the slapper around the world. Uh, that 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 would have disappeared off into nowhere, and it, and in fact, count the days, it kind of has. Right. But that was black on black. No politician could be like, "Hey, you know what? If Will Smith was a white guy and he went up and slapped him, can you imagine the politicians that would have come out of the woodwork and oh. said those crazy white people?" <laughs> it's like. <laughs> No, the, the, the <laughs> stop making it a thing. But because it's, and if, if it was white on white, you'd be like, these white people, they can't get along. Black people, it's black on black. Leave it alone. And so it became it just had it, it's had it had its moment. And then it went away because nobody can. There's nothing you can talk about from a pol political standpoint. It has no life. Most of this stuff has no life until somebody gives it life. And and like to to you know to your point you you know you were on the the coffee with humans podcast, you know you you what you said you grew up kind of de dem democratic and then you know it's a democrat uh, and then you you know, I, what was it your best friend or something like that is Republican you find out you know oh my gosh Republicans aren't terrible people it's like oh my gosh no they're not okay well who said who keeps saying that they are all the politicians. No, it's not you and me like and and we might have differing viewpoints and that's OK. It's by design and we might even get upset all about it. OK, but we'll move on. We'll figure it out. And the system is actually designed to help us figure that out. It's when the people in charge who want to stay in charge keep making it a thing for their own benefit. Let's all always think about what how does this benefit you? That benefits your reelection. Gotcha. OK. Well, now I know that you at least have some reason to keep to perpetuate this storyline. And then we want to talk about cancel culture. 
go reverse, go rewind the tape five years ago, 10 years ago, you weren't saying the same thing. You were saying the opposite. Right. Oh, abortion was wrong now. And now oh, abortion, we need to, we need to really turn this how, you know, this is terrible. Marriage between a man and a woman. Ah, you know what? Anybody can get married. How could you change that so quickly? And how, how come the narrative doesn't continue? Oh, because you have power over the narrative. Entertainers don't have power over the narrative. They're just scapegoats. They're scapegoats for people who have nothing else on their mind, who think entertainment is somehow you're my moral authority. You're not. You're just a, you're, you're a good entertainer. God bless you. Do keep doing it. Uh, and then, and then you're a, you are a, a puppet, a puppet for somebody's political agenda. Why? Because you are visible as an entertainer. And I got to go after the visible people. You're not going to come after me sitting in my underwear in Northern Illinois. I got no platform. If I had a platform, you'll be after me too. Oh, hundred percent. And, and, and that's the date. And that's one of the reasons why I had mentioned, um, do you feel like freedom of speech is under attack? Because we have seen how being a content creator, when you use certain platforms, you have to abide by their rules, you know, uh, Andrew Tate fans, I'm not, uh, I don't know him that well, but he's a prime example recently of a guy who made a following. He had a certain type of content he made and, uh, you know, one platform was like, oh, we're going to get rid of him. And then everybody decided we're going to ban him from every platform on earth and existence. Um, it, it's one of those things where you have to be careful nowadays, especially in society, where we live in on eggshells, everybody feels like, you know, oh, you know, he said this, we got to get him out of here. And I would say this, I'll take a step back, because I'm actually a question, but I, I, I want to tell people, they take anything away from this. I think we need to be more empathetic with one another, because what, what cancer culture, one of my biggest problems was, and I'm glad, I'm glad Dave Chappelle has spoken about it. He's the biggest figure right now who actually do talk about it um, is the fact that they also don't realize that they're affecting other people when they do this. You know, when you tell a guy, you know, we can't work with you. Sorry. Um, you know, for something you said five, 10, you know, 15 years ago, how's he going to feed his family now? How's he going to pay his bills? How is he going to support the people that, that rely on him? You know, and I think it's unfair for people to to do that. And, you know, I think people is one thing, the public. But when you have the media, when you have politicians getting also in the mix of this, I think that's when it becomes such a egregious behavior with cancel culture. If, if, if you said something, you know, like, um, you know, women are you know bottom of the barrel uh they only belong in the kitchen and let's get rid of them depending on what you do that might rub a lot of people the wrong way and you need to be held accountable right but then telling that same person you know what you're fired and uh we're gonna tell everybody what you said you know you're gonna have to deal with this consequence so now just because you feel that way and you said that now you don't got no job you have no way to support your family. You have no way to make ends meet. He's not the only one being affected by it. So I, I think for me, my question to you would be is, who who perpetrates this? You know, people is one thing. But who's the one that holds the key and power to all this stuff? You know, when we talk about cancer culture, this there has to be a force behind it that, that kind of drives it. I don't think people 
have that sort of influence the way how the media does? Do you think the media plays a big part in a lot of the issues that we face when it comes to police brutality, the negativity, uh, cancer culture? Because I think the media drives all of this stuff. Uh, do you feel that way or do you just think that it's up to the people to kind of change? I only have my perception to go off of, but here's what I know about the media. They are businesses. They make their money from viewers. Now, if I wanted more viewers, would I simply tell you the facts or would I somehow sensationalize them if I could, but still kind of keep it the facts? Of course, I'd sensationalize it if that led me to more viewers. So the under the undercurrent is that media is a business. I saw a video recently that talked about the the and and this is a, a big broad brush. I get it. News used to report the facts and then people would make their opinions. Now news reports opinions and we need to figure out what the facts are. I think that's pretty true. And and again, I think that the fact that media makes its living off of viewers, when you have a lot of competition, what are you going to do? You're going to try and be more competitive. How are you going to do that if you all have the same facts? They have, yeah. You have to base it off of personality. Okay, fine. So I like one personality, right? I like the personality. But at the end of the day, do I care? No, not really. I could just as easily like the new guy who comes on. Uh, but if you sensationalize it, you make it, oh, wow, I really want to. I really want to make that some clickbait. I think that's that's where some of it has become uh, an issue, because we're now we we are now competing in a global space with the same facts, and I got to get more clicks. I got to get more eyeballs. How am I going to do that if it's all the same facts? That I think is the underlying. It's an underlying business reason, at least, for why you might want to sensationalize things. Why you might want to tend towards a certain way to gather that viewership not saying it's right or wrong it is how capitalism works and what you don't want to have is you don't want to have a state-run media that only reports what the state wants you to hear right. so it is it is what it is you have to at some point in time trust that people are not stupid and will sift through the information what we've done you talked about cancel culture quite a bit what we've done in cancel culture is we have we have proven a person guilty without the totality of the facts, which is actually contrary to our laws. If you watch the Daryl Brooks thing at all, uh, which is a trial going on right now as we're recording this, who is a guy in in Wisconsin who got in an argument with his uh, girlfriend and then took his SUV through a parade and ran over 60-something people. There are like something like 66 or 68 people injured, and there were six people dead. He is on trial right now representing himself, and they are giving him due process. Now, he's making all sorts of trouble about this whole thing and trying to delay it, and he's trying to get a mistrial and all this other stuff yeah. by, by creating all sorts of antics that the judge is being very, very patient with him about. It's worth watching just to get an idea of how your judicial system actually does work. This man is receiving a fair trial, even though it is a no-brainer that, yes, he killed six people. He injured 60-something others because he's a bit of a nut job. 
and he's not to be believed. So convict him. But our judicial system does a really great job of giving everybody due process. Cancel culture does not because we have no idea actually what went on. I think it was Kevin Spacey who I just saw a news, a news article come up. He just got uh, he he um, one one charge of something that he was you know on on the hook for uh, was was thrown out or he's, he was not it wasn't thrown out but he's you know they they decided that uh, what's the word I can't remember what the word is but um, you know he wasn't convicted of it oh. but the media convicted him and you know what. I didn't watch House of Cards because I thought Kevin Spacey was somehow on some moral high ground. I didn't care. I watched House of Cards because he was a great actor on House of Cards. Now, if the studio didn't like him, that's the studio's issue. If his fellow actors didn't like him, that's the actor's issue. If he did something that was legally a problem, then take him to court and figure it out and then decide from there. But whispers in the wind with a bit of truth, and I'm not saying he is or isn't guilty, whispers in the wind with a bit of truth, cancel culture, took him off the show immediately. And honestly, the show wasn't better for it. So do you want your entertainers to maintain some moral high ground? Not necessarily. Cancel culture seems to indicate that they should. Why? Because they're making somebody feel bad. If it's not a legal issue, that will take care of it uh, either way. It will take care of itself. We have systems in place to take care of that. Capitalism will take care of it. The judicial process will take care of it. I I think that we, in our ability to communicate quickly, using our using these uh, new media platforms, social media, our our ability to communicate quickly and gather a following that sees the world just like us, and then gain strength from some political narrative makes some of these smaller issues that were never issues before much bigger issues. There were entertainers before who were in all sorts of stuff uh, allied with the mob and all sorts of things. If that, if that were kind of known today, it would be an issue, but you know what? Nobody cared. Why? Cause I don't need you to, I don't need you to be my moral high ground. I just need you to be a good singer. I need you to be a good actor. And if everybody doesn't like you, they will stop. They will stop hiring you. You make a good point about entertainers, and I, I want to touch on that a little bit too, because the the point you was asking is, do you want entertainers to have a moral high ground? I would ask you, do you think that entertainers should at least use their platform to help causes to speak out and? Let me first say this. I know eventually along my journey, I'm going to get to a point where, you know, you have a responsibility um, to maintain a certain image, a certain presence. You can't upset certain people, you know, who write the checks. I completely understand that. But do you think that celebrities also or entertainers also have a due diligence, you know, although they do entertain but they have massive platforms. They have millions of people who support them. Uh, they have millions of people who want to see uh, their every move. And especially now with the rise of social media, it's not so much just about the act. They want to see what they do behind the scenes, what they do at home, what they do for fun, what they do when they're not filming. Um, do you think that celebrities also have a due diligence to stand up and speak out? Because 
we have been seeing, you know, people like Kanye, who's been very outspoken about certain things. And a lot of people say, shut up, just go write music. But he makes good points. I'm not agreeing with everything that he does, but he makes good points about certain things. And increasingly, I'm starting to see a little more uh, minorities and people of the LGBT community who are celebrities with massive platforms coming out, talking about oppression, talking about um, being held back because of their gender or whatever the case may be. Uh, do you think they do have a due diligence also to speak out against issues that, you know, people are facing? No. And here's why. Nobody has any responsibility that they don't want to take. That's the freedom that we live in. If an actor wants to take the great means that they have financially, let's say, and go make the world a better place as they see fit, yes, absolutely, go about. If you don't, I do not care. Why? Because it's your job. Eve, reverse it. Let's say the actors look at the rest of the population and say, you know what? All you people who aren't actors, you really need to get it together. I'm going to need you to scrub up your lives and stop talking bad about each other and get along, or I'm going to cancel you. You're no longer invited to my movies. Just reverse it. If it doesn't work the opposite way, something might be broken. Again, we're holding we're holding people who have jobs to a standard that we cannot even attain to. Why? Because it's a whole hell of a lot easier than just focusing on ourselves and going, you know what? How do I need to clean up my life? Jordan Peterson talks about this. He says, if, if, if you can't manage your house, how the hell are you going to manage the world? And we have all sorts of people who are not managing their own lives, telling somebody else, telling the world, telling entertainers, telling governments how they should be managing. Figure your own shit out. Relax for a moment. Some of this stuff is transient in nature. Like you talked about, it was 15 years ago that I never would have known what's going on behind the scenes of any actor. Because there just wasn't the communication media for it. And now we're trying to figure out how do we deal with this? If you know what, you're a great actor, but wow, you're kind of kind of a nasty person. How do we deal with that? What standard do I hold you to? We're just trying to figure it out. Do I place on you some responsibility that I don't place on myself? I shouldn't. So no, I don't think you have any necessary responsibility that you need to take up and, and go be a stalwart for all of us around the world just because you have some means to do so. You're an actor. Great, fine. You make some money. You have means. Do with it what you want. That's that is what our system allows. I I then can make the decision whether I care to go see your movies or not. Right, a hundred percent. That you know that's a fair point. And you know I've had this conversation with uh, friends and family about uh, celebrities. Now, one conversation I do have a lot of people too is the fact of billionaires, right? Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, um, you know, I'm forgetting everybody's name. Um, but a lot of people look at billionaires and say, all right, you're worth $200 billion. You know, let's, I need you to 
and world hunger today because you have the means and the funding to do that. And I always tell people, whether you agree with what Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates or whatever they believe in, uh, that, that, that's your opinion, right? But how is it right for you to tell them how to spend their own money? Because that's that's what's that? That's no different than me telling um, somebody, hey, look, I know you worked hard for your money this last two weeks. It's payday coming up. However, you know, I'm behind on my bills. You know, I, I need you to pay my bills. You know, how do you tell other people what to do? And I think, like you said, Jordan Peterson, first of all, I love the guy. Makes a good point. How are you going to tell other people how to do things if you can't even keep your own house in order? I always say it always starts at home. If your home isn't where it needs to be, then how can you tell other people how to clean their room if your room is filthy? You know, and I think. We live in a society now where it, it, it seems to me, and don't get me wrong, social media has given everybody a platform to speak their voice, and I commend that, and I respect it, and I'm not here to tell anybody not to voice their opinion. However, I do think there's some accountability that needs to happen. You know, you can't dictate somebody else's life, especially if your life is not dictated in the way you, you claim you want other people to dictate it. Um but one thing I do want to talk about, I want to let's get off a little bit of that because, you know, I don't want nobody. I don't want us getting in trouble with these platforms. But one thing I do want to talk about student loans. My girlfriend's going to kill me because we actually supposed to be talking about it. But I want to get your opinion, especially as a, a more experienced wiser guy. A lot of people don't like st the student loans forgiveness, uh, forgiveness plan that's happening a lot of people say especially the older generation i'm not saying the younger generation don't but especially the older generation will say you know when we was your age we had to dig our boots deep in the ground and we had to get to work and we paid our way and we made the effort to you know pay back anything that we owe or if we if we had to pay through uh we had to go to college we paid our way through it so you have to pay that back how do you feel about student loans, especially as an older statesman? Did you say an older statesman? <laughs> I was thinking, I was thinking about Jason State. <laughs> State. Uh huh. I, Listen, I, dude, I, I'm only in my mid forties. I I plead the fifth. I, I know my rights. <laughs> an older statesman. Well, okay, so you know this this idea of the wealth gap which gets into the ideas of student loans, that people are under crushing student loan debt. You, I can see both sides of this. Now, the, you know, the older statesman argument, let's say, <laughs> is that you took out the loans uh, to your own detriment because you didn't do the math on it. I have a friend who years ago told us, you know, I'm, he was a, he was a, uh, camp director and he had something like a hundred something thousand dollars in debt to Ooh. be a camp director Ooh. for students and he looks back on it and he's like i didn't like that makes no sense you're right economically it makes no damn sense now here's the thing if you left it up to a capital if you left it up left it up to i'll broad brush it if you left it up to capitalism and banks nobody's going to give you a hundred something thousand dollars so that you can go be a camp counselor unless you can reasonably repay it. However, your government would happily underwrite all of that because they can then 
use that debt on their balance sheet. So it's actually a benefit financially to your government to create the debt because they will gather your the rest of your life together and pull that money out of you. And and at any point in time, they could decide not to, like sometimes they recently did, and print more money, which then just creates inflation. And we've been able to offshore our inflation outside of the United States, and that is quickly shutting down. And so inflation is coming back home. So from a debt perspective, shame on you for taking out more debt and not doing the math on what your job might pay you. Elon Musk talks about this. He says it is a it is a kind of all you need to know about our society and where people where where the government wants you. They want you working and stuck there because to some degree you're controllable. Mm-hmm. Because they will happily give you a hundred thousand dollars in student loans, but they won't give you thousand dollars unsecured money to go start a business. No. Why? There's all sorts of people who want to start businesses. They can't go get cash because they don't have the assets for it, but the government will happily give you money to be a more educated person. The vast majority of, I, I, this is a broad brush too, but many of the richest people in the United States or maybe even the world did not go to college. That's true. Some of them dropped out of high school. And you want to talk about the wealth gap? Jeff Bezos is worth something like $140 billion. He owns 11% of Amazon. Meaning the rest of us own 89% in our 401ks and all this other stuff. You can complain all you want about the wealth gap, but if he didn't go off blazing a new trail, you wouldn't have all that money that you did nothing for. You put it away and you invested in Amazon. 89% 89% of that money, 89% of that ownership, not money, but the 89% of that ownership is outside of Jeff Bezos. So the the wealthiest people make money. The vast majority of them may have made their money by making other people money. Now, I just got a question. Who told you to outshine me? No, I'm kidding. Um, you know, this conversation is definitely something that I saw coming because the whole student loan forgiveness thing has been going on for many years. And I've been on the fence for it because as someone who graduated with my BA in theater and took out loans, I would say, you know what? I was happily paying it back. Well, I wouldn't say happy. I'm not, let me not lie to myself about that. But I knew that I had to pay it back. So every, you know, month I knew I was going to have to pay 200 bucks to get this paid off. Right. And I was fine with that because I knew that was what I wanted. I wanted to be actor. I went to school for theater. Bam. It is what it is. I also see the other side where it's like, you know, a lot of people are choosing to go to these high end Ivy league schools, you know, taking out, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars for a liberal arts degree, you know, you're partying your life away, not taking it seriously. And then when it's time to graduate, you stuck and you're like, what the hell am I supposed to do? I got, you know, $300,000 in debt. I'm going to pay this off. I'm working, you know, at the local gym or the local restaurant. 
I can't afford, you know, eight hundred dollars a month to pay this off. And I say, at the end of the day, I think it's a great thing. Why? Because it's going to help people um, re- have some flexibility with their budget. Now, my problem isn't so much with the student loan thing. I think it's just generally with the student loan thing in general. You know, one of the arguments I've seen and I actually agree with is how are you going to take a 17, 18-year-old kid to high school Never had any responsibilities, you know, living at home with mom, mom probably still paying, you know, for their food, their clothes. And you send them down like, hey, oh, you want to go to school? Okay, here's the package, you know, just sign your name right here. This is how much um, you're going to have to, uh, you know, pay. Um, we'll, we'll give you this loan. And then, you know, next thing you know, they on campus having a good old time drinking booze. You know, I've been there in my stone cold days. And then, you know, as they're leaving four years later. You know, because this is what happened to me. I'm sitting in a, a auditorium as they're giving us our final presentation about what's the what to expect at the graduation. And then you get told, oh, by the way, the thing that you signed, oh, you got to pay that back. And if you don't pay it back, there's interest. Now, it's criminal in two ways. One, I think there needs to be better. Uh, I want to say criminal, I'm not throwing people in jail, but... I think one, there needs to be more due diligence in advocating and teaching uh young kids about what a loan is, you know, how they're gonna pay it back and you know whether your degree is worth it. Because the problem is a lot of people are just giving out loans to to people and then when it's time to pay it back, they don't know how to do it. And it's because nobody actually sat and told them, you know. Look at it from your perspective. If you're going for school for culinary for to be a chef, how much is your field going to make generally? You come to school, you know, two hundred thousand dollars in student loans. How how would you know if you make sixty grand a year? You know, you you have a family to take care of. How are you going to reasonably pay off? I'm pretty sure when you have that type of uh, student loan debt, you're going to be paying well into close to you know thousands of dollars a month. You know. I think there needs to be more education on that. And I think the also the biggest thing is the interest. The interest is absolutely criminal. How, you know, I was on Reddit. I know, it's Reddit. But people go in there and talk about their student loan situation. And people talking about, yeah, I had $150,000 worth of student loans. I was paying it off. It was a struggle, eating ramen, whatever the case may be. Lo and behold, seven years later, out of the hundred fifty thousand, you know, they probably paid off fifty thousand, but because of the interest, they're right back up to where they where they started. One hundred fifty, maybe even more, with the interest. I think that's the part that needs to be addressed as well, especially the most important thing, because we can wipe the debt off today, right? Just wipe it clean, but that won't change the the the, the students who's going to be going to college four years from now, ten years from now. That's going to be a recurring problem, and I think the interest is absolutely criminal how you pay you know half of your student loans but because of the interest you're right back to where you started so it becomes a never-ending cycle of paying it back paying it back paying it back i always say it like this how is it that you know these loan providers can charge you all this interest but you can't do the same you know i i get it it's a business it's an institution but 
how are they getting away with this? And I think that is the biggest problem. Do you agree? Who says you couldn't do the same? Well, I couldn't. If I give you a loan of $1,000, I couldn't tell you, hey, uh, the interest rate is going to be 20%. You yeah, know. you could. But isn't that, isn't that loan sharking if they... So first of all, there are limits, for instance, on loan sharks, like payday loans and that type of stuff. However, uh, if you said, I'm going to charge you 20%, it would be my choice whether to take out that loan or not. And that's where we end up with this idea of personal responsibility. We are in a culture, it seems, just my perception, that does not want personal responsibility because it feels bad. You know who doesn't want personal responsibility? Children. You know who has to take personal responsibility? Adults. And we are stuck right now with a couple generations. I think we're probably two generations maybe into this idea that instead of con- instead of figuring out at a young age which, how you're going to contribute to society, you're going to ask how society is going to contribute to you. Mm-hmm. And you're focusing on you, 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 you. It's creating narcissism, global narcissism. If you unwind the clock 80 years, people had to go off and get jobs. Your ability to borrow was not as high, which meant prices weren't as high because they couldn't just create money and give it to you so that you had more money so things could cost more. It's a never, it's a, it is a cyclical thing. Uh, and, and so the, the tide has changed. And now, now the, the narrative became go to college, educate yourself, work on you, 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 and then start figuring out how you might go on to contribute to society through a family or through your job by your mid twenties or maybe 30. It is, I think that narrative that society owes me something and somebody else needs to take care of me for a long period of time while I figure my stuff out, which has created this monster to some degree. And if you then give by virtue of technology and ease of mass communication, if you give the ability for that voice to be heard, what voice screams loudest in a house? The child. Mm-hmm. If you ever had kids, all you got to do is put one kid in there who is unhappy and that kid will rail on and on and on and on and on and on, on about anything. And it tends to, it seems to me that a lot of what we ex- are experiencing right now is the ability to communicate has led to some of these issues being magnified, but it's also been magnified, I think, by our government to some degree. Um, maybe not on purpose. I mean, I wasn't there when they decided, you know, we should, everybody should go to college instead of going to trade school. You know what we have a lack of right now? People in trade school, in in the trades, People who are bricklayers and electricians and plumbers, all of those folks who who have built our society, they will get paid to go to school. You don't end up, you don't end up with a with saddled by gads of student debt. It's just it's just kind of not sexy. But you know what? They make bank. Oh, do they make they? good money. Do they? And and they have good jobs. So. The that is also swinging back. You also see technology companies going. You know what? We don't need somebody who has this 
four-year degree or whatever, we're going to give you a certificate because we because a a teenager, I'm actually evidence of that, a teenager can teach themselves to program and be vastly further ahead, in fact, than somebody who has no ability to program but went through a four-year college degree to get a computer science degree. Right. And so you could give a person a certificate after six months and hire them. They know what they need to know. It's, 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 uh, there's a TikTok video going around. Uh, it's sort of a meme. And I, as a mid 40s year old guy, I even hate to use the word meme and know what it means. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a meme and it goes something like this What they should have taught me in school was how to do taxes. But I can tell you that mitochondria, is the powerhouse of the cell. Good point. Mm. All sorts mm. of things that are not practical to living. Why why I did rotary facilitation at one point in time for and in the rotary club and, and uh would would take students who are handpicked by their teachers kind of on the fence. They're either going to they're either going to kind of make something of their lives or they're going to go back because they're in an at risk scenario. And so uh I I at one point in time gave the kind of the ending speech to them and said you know, you got a couple different paths outside out out of school. You could uh, be unskilled labor and and work at a fast food restaurant. People need that. Uh, you could be skilled labor and build stuff around us and get paid to do it and paid to learn. And you'll be in an apprenticeship program. Uh, and we need that. You could go to college, and there's a lot of different colleges you could go to. You could go to an inexpensive college, or you could go to an expensive college but you got to do the math and not and college isn't for everybody. And you could see on their faces, some people who are in love with education going, Oh my gosh, I can't believe you just said that. It's the truth of the matter. And what we're seeing right now is that the college thing is exploded in this. Well, you know, you know, we need to forgive everything because everybody's vastly underwater in their college expenses. Yeah. Because we didn't need all of this stuff. And just because you had a college degree doesn't mean you're any good at it doesn't mean you liked it. There's all sorts of people running around with jobs that have nothing at all to do with their college degree. But it it is it is a it is for a time and it will snap back. That's the other thing. So this is transient in nature. It's a it's political sound bites um but 20 years from now we'll be arguing about something different. You know, one of the things you mentioned about, you know, the trade school and the college, you made a good point. You said something along, I can't remember exactly what you, you know, but you, you made a good point about how, you know, a kid in high school who didn't go to college can learn how to program and do certain things. And he can go do that without being saddled with debt. Right. I remember I had a conversation with an electrician. Now, a lot of people see a lot of these trade schools as non-glamorous and I get it. You know, you're not, you know, the shining star, you know, people like to give you a hard time, especially when you're a contractor or whatever the case may be, but being a plumber, electrician, a construction worker, uh, the many other uh, jobs along those lines comes with a hefty paycheck. I remember I was talking to him and we was talking about, um, you know, work and life and all that stuff. Uh, I told him I was an actor. He told me he's an electrician. And he was telling me how he gets $125 an hour to be an electrician. And no debt. No debt. $125 an hour. Lives in a nice, beautiful home in, uh, in California. Has a family. Nice cars. Not struggling. And he don't have to worry about 
any debt. I watch a series. Um, it's uh, it's called Millennial Money on YouTube. It's ran by uh, I forgot what the I think it's CNA or something. Uh, it's a channel that talks about financing, and they'll interview people to talk about their situations. And one of the most common things I've noticed on that on that platform because they've had people from all over the United States who have different jobs. The people who work trade jobs generally are pretty much some of the most well-off people you'll ever hear from. And it's because they don't have to worry about the student loans. They don't have to worry about the debt that carries with it. They go to the trade school, do a couple years, get their apprenticeship done, get their certificate, and then they go out, create their own business. They work as an independent uh, contractor. They get paid well good money to do what they do. And one of the key things that you mentioned is the fact that a lot of schools don't emphasize that. They we live in a society now where people say, go get that degree. That's just gonna make you um succeed in life. You know, a lot of these jobs nowadays, you need a bachelor's degree, you need a master's degree. Uh, certain fields, I'm not gonna lie, I wouldn't want a doctor to just get an associate's degree. I'm just saying that's just me. But I do think it's a, we live in a society now where we are told in order to survive, you need a bachelor's degree. You need to go for higher education. But what about trade schools? People don't talk about trade schools. People don't talk about fan, financing in high school. Some schools might, you know, but that you generally probably a little more well off than others. You know, uh, oh, I want to say you, but, you know, your family is. And they can afford that type of education. But education as a whole don't tell people about loans they don't tell them about credit card debt they don't talk about how to manage money uh you know you go into these colleges and like you said it's personal responsibility i 100 percent agree and that's why i say i'm on the fence with the loan debt just because it's at, at some point you have to take responsibility for what you do you know if you want to go to an ivy league school like uh you know yale or whatever the case may be to you know, study to be a librarian and you're taking on all these loans. I mean, at some point you kind of made that choice yourself and going into it, depending on your field, you kind of know, unless you're going to be at the top tier of a marketing firm or a financial firm, the chances of you being a millionaire actor after, you know, two years of graduation, it's slim. It's very slim. So to go to these schools you know, and they complain after, oh, I got to pay it back. Well, you made that choice to do that. But also see the flip side where it's like, you know, you get told, oh, you know, NYU is the greatest school in the world or one of the other top 10 schools, you know, you need to go there. You know, th those are the schools that's going to get you those jobs, get you the, 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 the professional resume and that professional experience that you need. But then they don't tell you about the interest rates that comes with these loans. You know, you're thinking you're only taking out, you know, $5,000 for the school year. But with the interest rate, you know, I didn't know what my interest interest rate was until I had to start paying back my student loans. And I'm like, wait, what? Oh, this is ridiculous. You know, and I think that's, it's, it's a, like I said, it's a balance. It's like, you know, personal responsibility. People are living, we are living in a time where a lot of people think society just needs to give them handouts. And I don't think that's productive. I think that's doing more harm than good. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons why there's so much negativity in this world is that a lot of people, you know, make excuses.
for example, I said about the pandemic. I actually like the pandemic. Not so much about the deaths and COVID and all that, but allow me to refocus myself and use my time wisely. You know, we create our podcast during the pandemic. A lot of other people, you know, I'm not calling nobody out, but a lot of other people just use that time to kick their feet up, eat Doritos, eat cheeseburgers and pizza, and, you know, did nothing with their time. That's your prerogative. I'm not here to tell you what to do. But at some point, use the opportunities and, and, the, and the things that come with life to your advantage. The pandemic, we had a whole two years. Uh, technically, we still are, but, you know, we was in two years, a two-year period where you had a lot of time on your hands for a lot of people. Create a small business. Go out there, go, you know, whether you want to go to trade school, another college, whatever, go make something of yourself, you know. You may not strike gold and become Jeff Bezos tomorrow, but start building those things. But, you know, to sit back, kick back, relax, collect unemployment, then when it runs out, oh, you know, the government did me wrong. Uh, you know, at, at some point, like you said, personal responsibility. Now, I want to ask you, how do we how do we get to that point? Because it, it seems to me we are living in a society where people think that way, but our society is also rewarding people for thinking that way. How do we, how do we balance that? Um, you know, because th that's a, it's a hard thing. It's like you know, it's easy to tell everybody go get a job, but you know, a lot of people have that opinion where it's like you know, the government needs to help me out here. And uh, how do you think we start bridging that gap? Well, this might be a little controversial. I'm but... all for it. <clears throat> You know, we've covered a lot of different topics during our time together, one of which was, you know, our our older people, uh, uh, should they be thrown out of politics or something like that? I know you didn't say it that way, but yeah, yeah. let me let me just right. Should Don't they should, should uh should younger folks take over because they're more culturally relevant or they can understand things better? Um, it is my experience that older folks are more likely to tell you what you need to hear rather than what you want to hear. We are living in a culture that wants to hear stuff. And when they don't, they whine about it. And one of those things that they need to hear, I say this to myself too, is success, long-term success in life comes from the ability to manage the things that you have. Manage your stuff, manage your relationships, manage your money, manage your work, manage your fitness levels, your food intake. All of the things, success, long-term success comes from the ability to manage the stuff that you have. That is not necessarily a popular opinion when we come to something like student debt and say, well, now it's unmanageable. Well, let's couple that with the other saying, which has been tried and true over hundreds or thousands of generations, which is necessity is the mother of invention. Mm -hmm. People will figure it out when they need to figure it out. Never remove necessity. But what you want to hear is somebody else is going to make it better. What if nobody's going to make it better and you just need to figure it out? What if you and I were locked in a room with massively differing viewpoints and the only way we could get out is to just survive? You know what we do? We'd stop bitching about things that didn't matter and we'd just survive. 
And at the end of that, I bet you would probably get along because we'd realize that most of this stuff doesn't matter. It takes years of experience to know what matters and what doesn't matter. And I think that if we if we move to personal responsibility, we will be better off. That becomes a political agenda. And some people want to remove personal responsibility, in my opinion, and some people want to put personal responsibility back on, in my opinion. Both of those people, both of those are uh, narratives exist for their own ulterior motives as well to maintain their their positions or whatnot. And I'm not faulting them for that. That is that that is the nature of the beast. However, fundamentally, our success in life, us individually, comes from our ability to manage the stuff that we have. And when necessity is removed from our lives, we generally make a mess of it. That is proven over and over again. Lottery winners or even uh, professional professional uh, basketball, football players, people who get like come into massive amounts of cash, they mismanage it. I know what that's like. So the the uh, the people who have come from nothing and stand before us and say, hey, I came from nothing and now I've got all this stuff. They know how to manage it. But we are under we are under the assumption in this country that we should not come from nothing, that we should not struggle, that things should be easy. Why can't I get that money? Why you you didn't tell me what that interest rate was? Bullshit. You actually clicked through all the terms and conditions that you didn't read. <laughs> you calling me out? That's no. <laughs> that's what happened. Yeah. I do it too. Listen, terms and conditions on all sorts of things. We're like, ah, that's a lot of stuff. It can't be that bad. Click. That is a denial of personal responsibility. And then we say, well, you didn't tell so. You didn't say so. Sometimes things go wrong, right? I got a parking ticket once and I was a little pissed off about it because I was on the side of the street where it said no, there wasn't no parking sign that was massively covered up by a tree. I did not see that no parking sign and there was parking on the other side of the road. And I had been parking there for a long time. And I, and one time as I was like, ah, I pulled into this other side, just parked and went back in, got a ticket. I went outside and I was like, where is the sign? I walked, walked 30 feet, 40 feet ahead. And the sign is stuck behind a tree, totally overgrown. So I took pictures of it and seven pages of pictures and Notes, I sent it to the parking authority. And here's what happened. They said, you owe us for that ticket. And what they didn't tell me, uh, but what I saw was that the following day, they cut back the tree. Okay. So you now have acknowledged that no one can see the sign because you cut back the tree because you knew I couldn't see the sign and I proved it to you, but you're still going to call me out on it. All right. Well, is that unfair? I think so. Absolutely. Are you going to do it anyhow? Yeah. Why? Cause I have no authority over it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing I can do. Well, we go to parking court with you. No, I'm going to pay my $20 ticket. Cause it's not worth the time and effort. Okay. Well, is there something unfair about that? 
probably. But when it comes to, I took out $100,000 in student loans over the course of many years. Got news for you. <laughs> you did it. Should you have? Maybe maybe somebody should have told you that, listen, you're not going to get a job that's that high paying. Maybe. But why 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 didn't you do the math on it? Why didn't you think that far ahead? Why didn't you figure out what you wanted to do with your life? How come how come at one moment you want to do what you want to do and then the next moment you can blame somebody that you didn't get to do what you wanted to do? Like what it's talking out both sides of your mouth. And that I think that's the culture I think that we're in a little bit. You want things, ultimately, it's like a child. I just want things the way I want them. I don't want to eat green beans. Yeah, but this is all, this is the vegetable we have, but I don't want to. Fine. Then sit there until your green beans are done. I can't believe you're making me eat green beans. Rah, rah, rah. And now we got people who'll be like, you shouldn't have them eat green beans. It's not right. You shouldn't, you just got a parent child in a different way and, you know, let them eat what they want to eat. Fine. Whatever. Fig figure it out. Personal responsibility leads to us being able to make successes of our lives because we get to learn to deal with the stuff that we have. And we're going to make missteps. And sometimes it's going to lead somebody else to look at our lives and go, I'm going to cancel you. And you know what? Maybe it's like, yeah, you're right. I probably should be canceled. But sometimes it's like, listen, that was a decade ago. Leave me alone. I'm allowed to learn from my mistakes just as much as you are. And and why do we now live in a culture where where our mistakes are out there for us for the entire world to see forever. You know what? There's no video of me making mistakes when I was a six-year-old or a 14-year-old because it just wasn't, there was no technology to do so. So now our lives are always on display. Is that a right? Is that right as people? I would, I would argue, no. Why should a person have to pay for the mistakes they made as a 20-year-old when they're a 68-year-old? You you really think they haven't grown in that many that that many years? Maybe they haven't. I would argue that they probably have. Only we get to resurrect all these things. So tying it all together, we just have a mass denial of personal responsibility, and we throw the responsibility to somebody else, and we ask them to get us out of it, or tell us what's happening. And that I think is where we end up with politicians who're like, "I'm I'll come to you. I will save you. Here's what we're gonna do for you." It's like, oh, thank you. You're gonna make the pain go away. I don't know that that. I don't know that get making pain go away isn't our ultimately the human, the best interest of human nature. Oh, you made a lot of, lot of, lot of good stuff. And I got to say, learn it, live it, love it. Because, you know, you made a great point about older people. And it's the fact that they tell you what you need to hear and not what you want to hear. And I think that's the shift that we need to stop telling people what they want to hear and what they need to hear. There's an actor, Michael Jawai. I watched the interview he did. And um, he talked about yes men in, in Hollywood and the people around him. And one thing he talked about was like, when I first started getting my name out there, I, I stripped out of weight. I want people who's going to tell me, hey man, what are you, what are you doing? You know, you, you messing up, you're making huge mistakes. He wanted people to tell him and Hold him accountable for the things he was doing. Not, oh, it'll be all right. You you know who you are. Uh, you'll get the next movie project. Don't worry about it. You're a big star. He didn't want people like that because at the end of the day, that creates a false sense of 
a security, a false sense of narrative that everybody has to bow down to the way how you want things. You need to be, you need to be told what you need to hear. You know, I, people always tell me I'm very blunt. I'm very straightforward. Well, part of it is because I'm from New York and part of it is because I don't like to, I don't like to cut the corners. I, I just want to tell you straight, you know, you're doing all this running around, telling people what they want to hear. It's just inflating the, the situation. It's not changing the situation and making it better. And I think fundamentally that is the part that we're missing. And I love talking to older people because they tell me things that, you know, you don't hear all the time. Everything is about, you know, trying to accommodate how you feel. Well, sometimes feelings doesn't, you know, produce the result that you want. You know, I might feel a certain way. Hey, I, I deserve that audition I did. You know, I deserve that gig. I deserve that money. Well, reality of the situation is maybe you just wasn't right for the project. I don't want someone telling me, oh, you know what? They turned you down because you was a black man. No, sometimes you're just not good or you didn't arise to the occasion that you needed to be. And that's one of the reasons why for me, um, I love, you know, being in the entertainment industry because I don't look at everything like, ah, you know, they screwed me. Ah, just get the next one. That's how you have to be. You have to handle rejection. We live in a society, like you said, you know, rejection is a part of life, but, you know, people aren't trying to learn from the rejection. Learn it, live it, love it. We all make mistakes. That's part of life. Everybody's going to do it. You know, whether from the, whether you're a two-year-old to 80-year-old, we all make mistakes. Now, a two-year-old, you know, you can't really hold them accountable. You're talking about two-year-old. But as you start getting into your adulthood, as you start really experiencing life as an adult, you have to realize at some point you have to make your own decisions and you have to learn from your mistakes. You know, that's just the name of the game. And instead of uh, looking for quick fixes, uh, fixes, everything is not going to happen right now. Our society is, everything has to happen right now. People don't want to wait, you know, a few years for their business to pick up. If they don't see that money flowing tomorrow, best believe somebody is oppressing you. And I think that's a dangerous mindset. I think for me, like you said, we just need to be held accountable for what we're doing. And I think we need more people to help hold each other accountable. You know, when I, um, when I talk about, you know, celebrities, regular people, it's not so much about your social status or how much money you have. It's just the fact that at some point we all have a part to play. I always say a helping hand is a better hand. It's not just a catchy slogan, although I should get it on a t-shirt, but it's also the fact that we all need to help each other. And sometimes helping each other is tough love. You know, some parents, you know, I, I'll use this example. Because I've seen this happen way too many times. I worked at a tennis facility. And, you know, a lot of these kids, you know, under 10 years old, just on their phone, wouldn't listen to authority. You know, they just, just did what they wanted to do. And then, you know, when it's time for, you know, parents to pick them up, you know, tell their parents, hey, you know, I had trouble with your son or your daughter today. Um, you know, they're giving me a hard time. Um, oh, well. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. Next day, same thing. Just It's just a continuous circle. But then you get that parent, like my mom. He did what? All right. I'll see you when we get home. I'm not saying she always beat me, you know. But she, hey, you going to do this or you're going to be grounded. I'm going to take your phone away. You're not playing no PlayStation. I'm not, you're not going to do this. You're not going to do that. I think we need more of that. I think there's too much babying going on. 
You know, a lot of people are just kind of letting people do whatever they want. And that's why I say always starts at home because the, the people, adults didn't turn out the way they did just because they woke up one day and decided they want to act the way they did. It all starts from home. You know, when you're a little kid, you know, the principles that you grow up with, some people might see something different and change. But generally, we all take an influence from our childhood, whether the way how we were raised, our environment, uh, you know, status in life. We all use that as a basis of life. And I think we just need more tough love. And I'm not talking about beating people with a belt or whatever the case may be, but telling people this consequences um, for your actions. And I think too much nowadays is, oh, you know, you did this. There's no consequences. You know, just do something else. No, you got to hold the account, uh, the consequences. You commit murder, you go into prison. You know, there's no, oh, uh, well, it's an accident. No, you kill somebody, you go into jail. You know, so I just think that we as a society just need to be told and have people tell us, you know, you're a great guy, whatever the case may be, but this is what you're doing wrong. Not, yeah, you're a great guy, and then skipping all the other things that they did wrong. Because obviously, something went wrong for it to not go your way. But I think there's hope. I think there's a way for us to overcome it. I don't know how long it's going to take. I ain't going to lie. I don't know how long it's going to take. But I do see that at some point, you know, things are going to change for the better. Do you agree with that? I think there's always hope. I live with a tremendous amount of hope. And I'm not devoid of my problems. And I have been on the, the side of both, I think, tremendous success and things that I thought were tremendous failures. And I I do think that culturally, the pendulum will swing back when we feel more pain. Pain and struggle have a prior have a method or a way of prioritizing what is important in our lives. That's what older folks have learned that younger folks have not, particularly in the last couple of generations, because access to pleasure has been so great, mm -hmm. so easy. And there is a I think there is a uh, kind of a, a a structural. What's the what's the word I'm looking for? Order. I think there are fundamental there there are fundamental principles, mm. which persist throughout generations, which are immovable. And the acceptance or denial of those. Uh, moves from generation to generation. But it always comes back because they are undeniable. They are they exist outside of us. And, you know, we can look at a... It, it is not... It is It has been known for thousands of years that parents impact children. You don't need to be a sociologist or a psychologist to figure that out. You don't need to study it. You can absolutely... I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that parents impact their child their child's development almost irrevocably that that principle was laid out thousands of years ago and whether you 
whether you care or not. There's a verse in the Bible that says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. You can read that as a positive or you can read it as a negative. But what you impart to your children, they will absolutely take forward into their lives. If you, if, and now we can just study it. We can go, well, if they were raised in a chaotic household, they expect chaos in their future relationships. Huh. Mm-hmm. Go figure. You don't need to, it's not, it's not that suddenly we figured it. We, we've kind of, uh, it's not suddenly it appeared that, oh, fatherless homes create instability in kids. Oh, really? You, you, that's been known for thousands of years. Shocking. Only now, only now we can try and figure out, well, who's, you know, why exactly is that? That's a neat academic exercise, which doesn't change the fact that it, that it has actual real consequences for our, our lives and the future generations. So again, back to this idea of personal responsibility if I, as a parent, am responsible for how my child shows up at school, and you know, to your to your point, if my child goes up to you know a teacher and is disrespectful to the teacher, if I ever did that in school, my parents would be in that classroom and they'd be like, "Jason, sit down. You're going to apologize to your teacher for being disrespectful." Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen nowadays. No. Not that we hear about. I think it happens, but it happens quietly because the people who are doing that. Don't want to make a big stink about it. We're just like, that's just the way it is. And we're going to, we're going to move on from it. We're not going to make a big deal about it because that's just part of parenting. However, there's a whole other side to this where it's like, well, you know, my child wants to come dressed as a dog because he's a furry. And I think we need to put a pee pad in the back so that he can pretend to be a dog. Well, that's, that's ridiculous. Why, why are we doing this? you going to, you want him to, you want him to put a pee pad in his office when he's 35. What are you thinking? It makes no sense. Well, he wants to do what he wants to do. That's cool. He he probably wanted to eat crayons at one point in time, but you stopped him from eating crayons, didn't you? Well, crayons aren't good for him. Neither is him pretending to be a dog. (laughs) (laughs) Like, come on. There's There's a level of common sense that has sort of been thrown out just because we can. Because we we get the privilege of arguing about these things. Uh, at levels that we've never been able to argue about before because we've had real, we've had real, real, I don't want to say real problems because we all have real problems. I don't want to minimize people's issues, but when's, when's the last time there's been real mass necessity to work together? When's the last time? We've not had a global war in a long time. There's not been millions of people dying at the hands of Hitler, let's say, where the entire world kind of massed around that and said, we're going to go, we are going to work together. There haven't been men sent off to war and then the women went to the manufacturing facilities to go make stuff to support their men who are off at war. We've not had that. Now we've sort of, we've almost sort of dumbed down our, our dumbed down our problems into like, Oh my gosh, I, I took out a student loan that I didn't check the terms and conditions on. 
I didn't do the math on whether I was actually going to get a job that was going to pay me on that because the, my teacher said I could, the politicians said I could, the bank said I could, everybody else, they said I could. And so I think the pendulum swinging back into we, we, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a saying that's that, um, what was it? Something about strong men, weak men. But basically we were creating a bunch of weak people which create problems. There it is. It's something like weak, oh, yeah. weak, okay. weak men create big problems. Big problems create strong men, right? Yeah. Who, who then remove the problems. And it's just like, it just, it just pendulums back and forth. It's like, great. So we have a bunch of problems, which are in the global, in the grand scheme of things are not that really big. They're not really that big of a problem because as you just, as, as just has been evidenced, like some of the stuff can just be wiped off by your government. Like, well, we're going to just forgive the student loans. Oh, so it really wasn't that big of an issue? No, it really wasn't that big of an issue. You know what's going to be a big issue if you can't feed ourselves and we can't afford our energy? Absolutely. That's going to be a huge issue. And you know what's going to be even bigger issue is when this becomes a global issue and the United States isn't the global currency, the reserve currency of the world, and all of a sudden our inflation has to come back home instead of being offloaded to the rest of the world, which I'm not an economist, but go research some of this stuff and you're like oh wait a second we are on the cusp we are on the cusp where our weakness has created big problems and it is coming for us like a tidal wave and there will be massive global changes that are, that are forthcoming let's say in the next decade that most people i think are remaining blind to because they you know they were blind they were blind yesterday they'll be blind tomorrow and and when that when those things change, we'll figure out how to deal with it. We've we we have figured out how to deal as people. We have figured out how to deal with the pendulum swinging back and forth. Almost, I, and I don't want to simplify. I I kind of do want to simplify it, like from pain to pleasure. We've been figuring out the pain to pleasure pendulum for thousands of years, and we just happen to be in a pleasure pendulum right now. To the point of we get to cancel our entertainers because they are a moral authority because we didn't like the way they treated somebody. Okay, well, <laughs> <laughs> they, your problems aren't that big if you got to complain about that. If that's what you have to talk about all day. Yeah, 100%. You know, this conversation is much more than just me and you. It's much more than, you know, the charismatic man entertainment behind the mic. This is something that as a society, we have to sit down and dress and look at each other. And it all starts with a conversation like this because we are not told to have conversations. If you disagree, well, you must be a hater. Go over there. No, sometimes you need that tough love. You need that um, that talk. And that's why I say it always starts at home. And that, that's why I use the parents analogy because you got two different parenting styles two kids one is different than the other and you see how like you said it, nobody no 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 adult you know just becomes lazy or becomes a certain way just because they want to sometimes yes but generally like you said we all take stuff that happens in our life and we use that as a basis to move through life you teach a kid ah uh, don't let nobody tell you what to do this is this is what you do you have fun, you do whatever you want. Well, that's how you get entitled child. But then, like you said, and you agree with me, you get a parent who makes you apologize to the teacher for uh, that you mean to. You bully that other kid. 
you have that parent that tells you, apologize. I want you to write a letter. My mom made me use, uh, made me do that all the time. You want to start trouble at school? Where's that notebook? Get that notebook. You're going to sit down and you're going to write for two hours. I am sorry to, you know, whoever the name was. And I just did that. And that's what instilled me to be a go-getter. You know, I had a job at 14. I, you know, whenever I wanted a new pair of sneakers, I went to, I worked and I had to go get them. You know, we just live in a society now where if we don't get it now, there's something wrong. And I think, well, there's some good things that are going on in society. I think there's some things we need to clean up. And I think the entitled attitude, the individualized idea that we live in, you know, our society in America is everybody's out for themselves. And, you know, you go to other countries, everybody works together. Everybody's willing to help the local bakery. Everybody's willing to help each other. You know, I think we need more of that, you know, and, I, and this is why I say, you know, when tragedies and all this stuff happen, we shouldn't wait for that stuff to bring us together. Let's not wait for another world, uh, world, uh, world war to happen. Let's start doing it now, you know. But again, it's one of those things where people only talk about it when it starts affecting them. And it's like, oh, oh what am I going to do? Well, before it gets to that point, if you see a collision happening, don't keep pressing the gas. Let's slam on the brake. Let's try to get out the way. And I think that's what we need to do. And it all starts with a conversation like this. Whether you agree, disagree with each other, sometimes it's nice to just sit down. You can argue and scream, do whatever you want. But sit down opposed to blowing each other off. Uh, oh, he said that. Uh, well, he's a hater. He don't need to be in my circle. No, there's nothing wrong with that, you know. But uh, any final thoughts from you, Jace? Yeah, I think the circling some of this back around, the greatest education I think a person can have is to go meet somebody in a culture that they have never been exposed to. Make that a way of life because our myopic viewpoint of the world is what in ignorant ways causes some of these problems. I would not know you if I didn't have the assertiveness to open up my webcam and go have a discussion. I made that step to open up coffee with humans, to go talk to people who are random people who just want to have a conversation. I took that step. And I know other people who've talked to me and said, I can't believe you do that. I don't know how you have a conversation with just some random person. It's like, that is the nature of our world. There are nearly 8 billion of us on this planet. 8 billion. There's so many we cannot even comprehend it. And I've had the privilege of spending a little bit of time overseas in cultures that don't have it as good as we have it. And you want to know real problems, go overseas and talk to some of these people. You don't like your building codes? Well, I can tell you, you don't want to build homes without it. Go to a place that doesn't have that. You 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 don't like how your land is managed? Well, go to a place that you're never sure if you own your land. Even if you had a deed to it, could have disappeared. Why? Because somebody paid somebody off. All right, well, there's a real problem. So I think we need to assertively, if we want to educate ourselves, we need to assertively get cultural knowledge outside of book knowledge, outside of, and that's was the advantage of college at one point in time. We can immerse ourselves in a liberal arts education where we get exposed to a lot of different ideas. All right, well, that has morphed into something different. Now, 
we have the opportunity to connect with people around the world, we should be doing that. We should be learning to have conversations. We should be learning what we actually believe and what we actually think and thinking through our own arguments and being willing to be wrong and change our minds even. Uh, and then grow through that. And uh, perhaps, you know, I'm just a youngin. You think I'm old, but I'm young. Perhaps give us all a little break. Over the last 20 years, I've done a bit of changing. I expect to change more in the next 20. Don't hold me to the standards I was when I was 20. I'm 45, dude. Right? And I won't hold you to it either. You, you have the opportunity to change. You have the opportunity to grow. And if you're assertive about it, the world actually can become a better place. We are, we are, turns out, actually in charge of this whole thing. So go out. If you want to make the world a better place, do it. Oh, and like I always say, a helping hand is a better hand. Great conversation. Thank you to the man, the myth, the legend, the man who used to owe me $5,000, but now is, I'm going to knock him down to three because we had such a good conversation. The real Jason Todd. Uh, where did, where can people find your, your your podcast and or find you on social media? Yeah, you can find my podcast, Coffee with Humans, on YouTube. You can also grab vastly out-of-date episodes uh, on your favorite podcasting platform, or you can find me at therealjtodd.com. And I just I just got to say, um, I'm hungry for a cheeseburger. I don't know about you, but... I think uh, this was a great conversation and I think, uh, you know, this one is for the books and I thank you for coming on and I want to say uh, peace and I want my money. No. <laughs> All right. I appreciate knowing you and we agree. Cheeseburger sounds great. <laughs>